Uh, my message is found in Matthew 25:14. When you get there, say amen. All right, I'm going to read a few verses here. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Now, when he says it, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Every single one of the parables of Jesus is about opening up for us this reality that he calls the kingdom of heaven. And he's speaking to a Jewish audience that thinks they, that thinks they know what it is. And so he says, no, 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 the kingdom of heaven is not what you think it is. It's like a man who found treasure in a field, and when he found it, he sold all he had and went and bought that field. It's not what you think it is. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it becomes the largest of all garden plants. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. No, no, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Though it's a little lump, you mix it in the dough, and it works its way through all the dough and causes it to rise. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And oftentimes he'll go to another parable and say, again, the kingdom of heaven is like. He's speaking of the same reality from a different dimension, from a different direction, from a different perspective. He wants you to see every side of this thing. He wants you to see it from as many different directions as you can, but he's talking about the same thing, the kingdom of heaven. And here in Matthew 25:14, he's giving us the kingdom of heaven from a, a, a completely different perspective. He says, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to him. Look at, the neighbor, look at your neighbor say, entrusted. He entrusted his property to them. He didn't give it to them, he entrusted it to them. It's a big difference, isn't it? If I give you a million dollars, you go on a shopping spree. But if I entrust you with a million dollars, that's a little bit different, isn't it? Because I'm coming back for my money. <laughs> So the kingdom of heaven is about what you're entrusted with, not what you're blessed with. God is far more interested in the trust that he places under your care, for which you are responsible and for which you must give an account, than he is with the blessings that he gives you freely to enjoy. Enjoying the blessing is one thing, but being faithful with the trust is quite another. In other parables, he talks about the blessing. Here, he talks about the trust. It says, A man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. 
So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. Now watch this, verse 29. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Look at your neighbor and say, mercy. All right, flip over to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Are you there? This is what it says. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk, whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. And then finally, you don't have to turn there, but John chapter 17 verse 8 is the prayer that Jesus prays to the Father as he's approaching the cross. And in that prayer he says, the words that you've given me, I've given to them and they've received them. All right. It all fits together, I promise. Let's pray. Father, I speak your blessing over this house today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bless all of your sons and daughters here. And I pray for a spirit of wisdom and understanding to be given right now. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's start with the parable of the talents. I've heard this taught many times. I've taught it many times. Uh, but this week I've seen it in a completely different way, in a way that just kind of blew me away. First of all, uh, what I want to say about the parable of the talents is that you've got to understand that a talent was a large sum of money. Matter of fact, a talent represented a year's wages, one year's wages. Now, when we think of talents, uh, uh, we think of gifts, we think of abilities. You know, you're a very talented keyboard player. You're a very talented artist. You're a very talented singer. And it means that you have some gift or some skill or some ability. That's the way we use the term. But actually, in ancient Israel, a talent was one year's wages. It was a sum of money. So when Jesus gives, or when the master gives a talent, he's given a year's wages. So he's not entrusting these servants with $25 each. The first one he gives five talents of silver. That's five years wages. Now, if the average American makes $36,000 a year, that's $180,000 he's entrusting to this servant. Cash money. Bling, bling. Dollar bills, y'all. The second one, two talents, $72,000. And the third one, he only gives one talent to. You think, oh, that poor, poor servant. He got a check for $36,000. That's not anything to shake a stick at. Actually, the average wage in California is higher than $36,000 a year. $36,000 a year is just enough to be poor here in California. Somebody preach. Oh, Lord, now my staff member is going to be coming to me every time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So he entrusts these large sums of money 
to each of these servants. The second thing we need to understand about this passage of Scripture is that at least all three servants were faithful with the base sum of money he gave them. Even the one he calls wicked and lazy came back with the whole 36000 He didn't say, Master, here's thirty-two. I was short a couple months, <laughs> and I had to dip into what you gave me, right? At least he hadn't lost anything. I mean, if I gave you $36,000 today and came back in five years, how much would you have left? After a while, you might start thinking, man, it's been four years. Maybe he's not coming back. Maybe he forgot about that money. I need me a new car. I'll pay it back. I'll make payments. I'll take it on credit. Even the, the, the one he calls wicked and lazy at least was faithful with the base sum that the master gave him. Now, I've heard a lot of teachings on the talents, and, and, it's come, and I've come from many different perspectives on what the talents are, but this week, as I was just meditating and praying, the Spirit of the Lord impressed it upon my heart that what Jesus was talking about was not money, was not gifts, was not callings, was not abilities, was not ministries, was not people. He's talking about his teachings. The property that the master entrusted his servants with represented the teaching of Jesus. You know, there's a, um, a particular phenomenon that's happening and that's been happening for about a year or so with my spiritual father and I. If you ever go out to a restaurant with us and sit down with us, uh, you'll feel a little bit left out because what will happen is he'll start speaking. Whenever I'm with him, he just goes into a teaching. I mean, he just starts teaching, whether I asked for it or not, whether I wanted it or not, whether I was ready for it or not, whether I'm in a good place or a bad place, a high place or a low place. I could call him depressed, and he'll go into a teaching. I could call him encouraged, and he'll go into a teaching. I could call him just feeling bland and nothing and, and dull, and he just goes into a teaching. How are you today, Benjamin? I'm good. How are you? Good. See, the thing that the Spirit of the Lord is saying is... <laughs> In Matthew chapter 24, the Spirit of the Lord was and he'll go into this long teaching, and sometimes it's an hour or an hour and a half. Now, <laughs> I've known this man for about 17 years now, and he's been operating this way for as long as I knew him, but I didn't know how to hear him for a long time. So I go sit in his office just to meet with him, you know, just to catch up, because it's been six months since the last time I saw him, and the reason it's been six months is because last time I was there, he bored me to tears with some teaching that I didn't ask for. And I would sit there, and he'd be talking and talking, and I'm thinking, uh-huh, 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 I'm thinking, what? He, first of all, he's speaking way over my head. I don't understand a word this man is saying. Just some deep, he would always come with this deep teaching. Something so deep, it, it's like it's buried. <laughs> it's like, dude, you're digging down to China. That's too deep, man. I mean, it's like you're in another dimension. You're about to hit the earth's core. You're going so deep. I'm living on the surface. I'm living in the, in the real world. How many know that the real world is the surface world? It's the shallow world. And so I'd be sitting there falling asleep. He'd be teaching and teaching. And I'd be, mm, uh-huh, uh-huh, looking up at the clock. Lord, get me out of here. How do I very politely and respectfully say, I got to go? <laughs> and at a certain, and, and here's the thing about him is when he feels like you don't have it, he starts to push it even harder. <laughs> and he'll say it again and again and again because he's looking for a particular sound in your voice. He's looking for the aha moment. He's looking for you to go, wow, I got it. But I would, uh -huh. 
uh-huh, uh-huh. I wouldn't get there. And finally he said, well, I know you've got to go. Let me. And I wouldn't go back for three months. I'd feel delivered when I left his office. Thank you, Lord. You got me out of there. Thank you. I thought I was never going to get out of there. But I went through a season about three years ago when I was just in a pit that I couldn't pull myself out of. I was just going through such a difficult season, and the only, thing, the only person I could think of was him. So I'd call him, and I'd go sit in his office, and all of a sudden I, I had come to a point of desperation where I heard his teaching in a different way. It came to me like life. If he would speak directly to whatever it was I was going through, and then he would give me this one, two-hour teaching, however long it was. And in that season, I learned how to hear him, and, and my hearing was elevated to another level. And all of a sudden, I would sit there, and it was like things were broken off of my life, just listening to him. I would sit there and go, ah, oh, and feel like I just wanted to jump up and down. And I remember leaving thinking, i got to get back here as soon as possible because I need more of this. And for about a year, I would just listen and listen, and I'd go back, and then I'd listen and listen, and I'd go back, and then I'd listen and listen, and I would try to chime in and say, yeah, because such and such and such and such. He'd say, no, that's totally wrong. That's incorrect. No, 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 that's, you're looking at it completely wrong. You're in the flesh right now. That's the problem. Your mind is completely in the wrong place. Everything you just said is a lie from the devil. <laughs> yeah, that's deception. I feel like an idiot, but I came back for more. Why? Because I heard something in his voice that was so that was so real. I need this. Well, that dynamic began to grow and all of the, and this is what I would do. I mean, I'd sit in his office and I'd hit record. I'd pull out my cell phone or some recording device and I'd hit record and I would just begin to record those conversations. And then I'd take it home. I'd listen to it in the car. And I'd listen to it in my living room, and I'd listen to it in my bedroom, and I'd put on my earphones, and I'd listen to it, and I'd listen. And as I'd listen, I'd stop in, at any place where I didn't understand and just begin to pray, Lord, give me understanding. I know some, there's something under here that you're trying to speak to me, that you're trying to establish in me, but I don't get it yet. Give me understanding. Give me understanding. And I would just begin to seek the face of God on it. And all of a sudden, you know what started happening? There was a particular day where he gave me this long teaching. I was quiet the whole time, and it seemed to him that I wasn't receiving it, so he kept going at it and going at it and going at it, and, he, and finally he said, are you with me? Are you, getting, are you hearing this? I said, I'm getting every word of it. I'm just quiet because it's sinking in, and it's sinking into such a deep place that I, I just, I just got to be silent and let this sink into me. And then I went home, and I listened to it, and I began to pray on it, and I listened to it, and all of a sudden it began to expand in my spirit. And all of a sudden it was released into my soul in the form of wisdom. And then I called him up on the phone and I said, listen, I was thinking about what you said and meditating on it. And this is what the Lord gave me. And I found that I added to it. In other words, when he gave it to me, he gave it to me as one talent. But I went home and put it to work and gave it back to him as two. And he said on the phone, he said, oh my goodness, that's more than I gave you. The sound I hear coming back to me is greater than the sound that came from me. That is, I gave it to you in embryonic form, but you took it home and you carried it to full term and you gave birth to it and you're bringing back to me a mature child. Didn't the scripture say wisdom is known by her children? That means wisdom needs to give birth. And then he would give me more. He saw that I would carry it to fruition and bring it back to him. He'd give me more. It's, we've had times where I'd sit in his office for three and four hours and we don't even realize that any time has passed. We have to pull away from each other. Because you know what happens? He gives it to me. I take it home. I pray over it. I meditate on it. The Lord gives, gives me even more than he gave me. And then I give it back to him. 
And you know what he does? He meditates and prays on it, and it grows in him. He gives it back to me even greater. And I pray and give it back to him even greater. He prays on it and gives it back to me even greater. So that if you were to sit down at the table with he and I right now, we'd pick up where we left off from yesterday's conversation, and we would arrive at some new insight, some new wisdom, some new revelation, something new that you never heard before. And, and both of us sit at the table and go, wow, well, well y'all got to hear this. Y'all got to hear this. And we would turn, and one of us would start to teach. It started when I began to receive his teaching as a trust. Something entrusted to me. Now, look at this. In Romans chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says that the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. This is the trust. This is what God is, is wanting us to be accountable for and responsible for, the words that he speaks. In Romans six seventeen, Paul says, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. Paul says, I entrusted my teaching with you and you obeyed it. 1 Corinthians 4, 1. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Listen, what God, Jesus did not leave his disciples any money. but he entrusted them with his words. He says, Father, the words that you've given me, I've given them. That's a powerful statement. Jesus said of his disciples earlier, he says, Father, of those you gave me, I haven't lost any except Judas. There's always one. <laughs> but he, there's no Judas in the word. The words you gave me, I, I kept all of them. I haven't lost one. And in fact, I kept all of them and I gave them to your disciples, to the disciples you gave me. I've received the words you've given me and given them to the disciples you gave me. I've been faithful to ensure that not one word you gave me was lost. I haven't lost a word of it, Father. Every word you gave me, I hid it in my heart. I ent you entrusted it to me, and I kept it, and I held on to it so securely that I could confidently turn to the disciples and say the words that I speak to you, their spirit and their life. They're the words the Father gave me for you. Receive it as your inheritance. Receive it as your trust. And they received it to such a degree that years later they were able to sit down and pull out a parchment and a pen and write the gospel. Oh, you want me to tell you the teaching of Jesus? That's no problem. Let's start with the Sermon on the Mount. Word for word, write it out. Word for word, write it out. Why? Because they received it at a different level. Now we we got to learn some things. We got to learn some things about receiving from God. Proverbs chapter two. This is a a life chapter for me. I, I memorized this chapter uh, out of the King James version, of course. But when I was in the eighth grade, the Lord gave me this chapter. I'll never forget. I'll never forget sitting at the table with my mother and just recounting, just reciting this chapter, uh, and and just seeing the tears come in her eyes. I don't know why, but the Lord gave me, and I didn't even understand the significance of it. But Solomon says, "My son." He's speaking to one of his sons. Wisdom always starts with sonship. He says, my son, if you receive my words. And that book went to all of Israel, and everyone received it as a son. My son, if you receive my words. Now, my, the words of my father, they are like, the scripture says the words of the wise are like firmly embedded nails. There are things that my father has spoken to me that continue to ring in my head. I mean, they just stuck there. And, there's, and what, what it does when you receive a word from a father as a son, it... it the level of priority is heightened above every other word. I'll never forget, my father said to me when I was young, and he said it to me several times, 
He said, when you graduate from high school, you will not buy a new car. You will not get your own place. You're going straight to college. I've seen too many people buy a car and get a place, and then they drop out of school after one semester because they, they're, they're working for their car and their place, and they can't get their degree. Not so with you, son. You're going straight to get your bachelor's degree, and after your bachelor's degree, you're going straight into your master's degree program, and when you finish your master's degree, then you can think about your own place and, and buying a car but not until your master's degree is done. So that was so firmly embedded in my thinking that there was absolutely no possibility of going in any other direction for me. People would ask me in high school, so what are you going to do? Oh, I'm, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to college. And afterward, I'm going to grad school. I'm just going to go get my master's degree. But I mean, but you know, don't you want a car? I'm like, that's stupid. <laughs> Dude, you don't want to buy a car. But it wasn't my own thinking. It was my, it was, I just simply received that word from my father, and it was established in my thinking like a firmly embedded nail, and I just w couldn't move. I, could, I was constrained by it. That teaching constrained me. Listen, you haven't received the teaching until you're constrained by it, until you can't move to the right or to the left because of the teaching that you've received. Jesus said, every man who receives these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. Though the wind and the wave, the, the rain comes down and the wind blows and beats against that house, it will not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. But he who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain comes down and the wind blows and beats against that house and it falls with a great crash. Why? Because you heard the teaching but have not allowed yourself to be constrained by it. Now, the question is, how do I get to that place? Well, you look at Proverbs chapter 2. He says, My son, if you receive my words and hide my commands within you. David said, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Meaning I've located that place in my heart where if I insert the word there, it begins to constrain me. Until you find that place in your heart, locate that place in your heart where you, in, you hide the word there, it will not constrain you. He says, if you receive my words and hide my commands within you, and then he says, inclining your ear to wisdom. That's what the King James Version says. Inclining your ear to wisdom. The NIV says, turning your, heart, your ear to wisdom. I like that word incline, because an incline is an upward trajectory. It means you've got to listen at a higher level than you normally listen. Now, I, I, you know, I remember being in, in junior high school and high school, and I was more concerned about other things than I was about listening to the teacher. Sometimes the teacher was, if the teacher is teaching at a higher level than you're listening to hearing at, than you're used to hearing at, then you have to incline your ear in order to receive what the teacher's saying. So often we want the teacher to come down to our level and teach us at the level of our ignorance so that we can stay at that level of ignorance. <laughs> I was teaching systematic theology at the School of Urban Missions, and there was this one brother in the, in the class and in uh, uh, first day of class, it's systematic theology, right? This is an academic discipline, systematic theology. And I say, you know, I'm, I'm teaching from the Greek, and I'm, you know, I'm talking from the Hebrew and the Greek. And the first Greek word I throw out, he raises his hand. I said, yes, sir. He says, could you stop speaking in those foreign languages? It's confusing me. The spirit of slap came on me. But I resisted. I said, listen, sir, I said, first of all, this is not Sunday school. This is not your small group Bible study. This is an academic institution, and you have to learn how to listen at a higher level than you are used to listening at. 
The fact that you are currently confused simply means that you have a 100% potential for learning in this class. If you understood everything you heard, you couldn't learn nothing. So that's a good thing. It means you're going to get your money's worth. You know what? After he learned how to hear and understand my language, all of a sudden I saw stuff just exploding in his heart, and he would raise his hand. I remember one time in the middle of class, after two, after two semesters of that, in the middle of class he goes, Dude, do y'all feel what I'm feeling? You know what I'm talking about? Man, this is awesome. Are y'all hearing this? Man, this is good stuff, man. Do you feel? Sometimes I think y'all ain't feeling what I'm feeling. Some of you were there. I see. You know, I got a witness. I got witnesses all through the house. You got to learn how to incline your ear. You know, before I started actually hearing Pastor Daniels, I had to learn to incline my ear because he wouldn't come down to my level and give it to me. I had to come up to his level to get it. That's why God told Moses, come up to the mountain and then I'll speak to you. You got to come up to me. I'm not speaking to you down in that valley. You got to come up to me on the mountain and then I'll speak to you. And if you don't hear from God, it's because you don't know how to come up to the mountaintop. You got to come up to where he is and he'll speak to you there. You got to incline your ear and listen at a higher level than you're used to listening. at. Inclining your ear to wisdom. If you don't incline your ear, wisdom will pass you right by. So well, you were talking over my head. Well, that's because I was I was waiting for you to rise up to another level. You're just sitting too low. You can low ride your way through life. <laughs> you need to put some hydraulics on it. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Inclining your ear to wisdom, and then he says, applying your heart to understanding. Do you know you can incline your ear without applying your heart? Which means, uh, inclining your ear simply can mean that you just you just obtained an intellectual grasp of the subject matter. Meaning that you understand conceptually the things I'm talking about, and you can even regurgitate them, but your heart is not engaged. He says applying your heart to understanding. That means that you shift your heart around the teaching. It means, and oftentimes the teaching will come at, at you from left field, it seems like. It'll come at you from a perspective and from a direction that you're not used to hearing stuff come from. Say, man, that don't sound right to me. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't get that. And you've got to begin to shift your heart around it. You've got to begin. I can't tell you how many times Pastor Daniels has said to me, no, 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 that's right. You're looking at it all wrong. And what I immediately have to do is shift my heart around it so that he doesn't have to wrestle with me. One thing I never find is Jesus in an argument with one of his disciples. applying your heart to understanding meaning you're not going to understand until you begin to apply your heart to the teaching we wait for understanding to occur and then we'll apply our hearts to it say well i'll shift my heart around that when i get it no 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 no. he says you shift your heart around it and then you'll understand it i hear a lot of people saying well i want to understand so that i can believe but no 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 you got to believe and then understand we're talking about faith seeking understanding not understanding seeking faith Applying your heart, shifting your heart around it, applying your heart to understanding. Now, it sounds like a good disciple, right? I'm sitting there, I'm receiving the teaching, I'm inclining my ear, I'm applying my heart, I've inclined my ear so that I get hit right in the face with wisdom. It doesn't go over my head anymore. And I'm applying my heart, I'm shifting. Do you know the devil will lie to you and tell you you're confused when it's perfectly clear? 
There's a spirit of confusion that attacks every presentation of the Word of God, and especially a teaching that's going to establish you in your sonship or your daughterhood, that's going to establish you in your inheritance. Every teaching is attacked by a spirit of confusion that comes and just whispers in your ear, this is too much, you don't understand this, this don't make any sense. You're not getting this. I remember I was talking to somebody one time and they kept saying, after an hour, they kept saying, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't, I'm so confused, I'm so confused. And then it dawned on me, that's a lie. And I said, it's, it's a lie, you're not confused, it's perfectly clear. And all of a sudden he went, I get it. <laughs> you're not confused. Confusion's a lie of the devil. It's perfectly clear. It's perfectly clear. Applying your heart to understanding means you've got to get a hold of your heart and pull it into the place of understanding and say, no, you're going to understand this. You're going to get it. You're not going to leave without understanding. And then he says this. If you cry out for knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding, what does it say in the... Yeah, there it is. If you call out for insight and, lift, and cry aloud for understanding... I like the, the King James Version says, Yea, if thou criest out after knowledge, if thou liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasure. You know what he's talking about in those two verses? Going home and getting into your prayer closet and praying that God would give you understanding. This is the level that we almost never take it to. We hear it and we might even go, oh, that was good. Oh, that was real. Oh, that was tight. Oh, that was good. That was good. That was real good. That was tight. We might just hear it at that level and then go away going, man, that was hecka tight. Did you hear that? Man, that teaching was hecka tight. But until I go into my, it's, it, it doesn't multiply at the level of tightness. The recognition of the tightness of the teaching does not cause it to multiply within you. You still got your one talent. The fact that you recognize how tight it is simply means that you've got one talent. You haven't lost it. But you still buried it because you haven't put it to work. If you want to put it to work, you've got to go into your prayer closet and cry out for knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding and seek them as silver and search for them as for hid treasures. You know when I would do that with Pastor Daniel's teaching, I'd go home and I'd pray and I'd listen to it and I'd meditate and I'd pray and I'd get in my Bible and get in the Word and sometimes things he'd give me, I want to go back and look at that in the Greek and look at it in the Hebrew and I want to go read a commentary on it and then I'd pray about it and meditate on it and study it and pray it. All of a sudden, I would receive it from the Spirit of the Lord in the prayer closet as if I never heard it from him it would get to the point i hadn't forgot that he told me i'd call him back and say dude well, i wouldn't call him dude but <laughs> <laughs> listen to this and i'd tell him and he'd go mm, that's good I said, no 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 this is fresh man i just got this from the lord and i'd tell him he said, man that's that's really good that's that's what i was telling you last week <laughs> remember and then all of a sudden i would remember oh yeah i didn't get this directly from the lord i got it from him but the Lord gave it to me again in the prayer closet so powerfully that I forgot that I got it from any man. Because actually it came from the Lord anyway. In other words, the same experience he had when the Lord gave it to him, I had when the Lord gave it to me in the prayer closet. We both received it from the Lord, and now it's fellowship. Now it's a trust. Now it's joint ownership. Now we are fellowship. Now we can fellowship because fellowship means joint ownership. You and I have to possess the same thing before we can fellowship. That's what John said in 1 John chapter 1. 
He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which our ears have heard, which our hands have handled, concerning the, the word of life. A couple of verses later, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we deliver to you. We declare to you. Why? So that you may have fellowship with us. I've got to give you the word before we can have fellowship. Because we can only fellowship in our joint ownership of the teaching to which we have been entrusted. Are you hearing me today? Are you inclining your ear? Are you applying your heart? All right. Good. Amen. There's the next step. First step is inclining your ear and applying your heart. That is listening at a higher level. Second step is going home and crying out, out for knowledge, lifting up your voice for understanding, going to the prayer, chap- in the prayer in your prayer closet and praying through it and meditating on it and letting it explode in your spirit. All of a sudden the Lord gives it to you. You even forgot you got it from me. But there's a next step. Because now you've got to give it away. You can't keep it for yourself. You've got to give it away. Now look at what the master says to the wicked and lazy servant who, who held on to the word and didn't give it away. He said, at the very least, you should, have invest, you, put, you should have put it on deposit with the bankers. You should have at least given it to one person. At least found a banker and say, I'm going to deposit it here. The teaching I gave you, the trust that I gave you, at, where are you depositing it? You get a return on your investment based upon where you make your deposit. If you never make a deposit, you never get a return. That is, I take what my pastor gives to me, I pray over it in the prayer closet, the Lord expands it in me, and then you know what I do? I come here and I give it to you. Can I just let you in on a little secret? Almost nothing that I've preached over the last three years originated with me. It happened in some conversation I had with him where something was deposited in me, and then I went into my prayer closet and prayed, and sometimes a one-hour teaching he gives me turns into a whole sermon series, like the, the teaching on the soul. He gave that to me in one hour. And I wasn't expecting it to come. I, he called me on the phone out of nowhere. I've got to share this with you. And he starts talking about the soul. And for that hour, I felt like he was talking way over my head. I'm like, I have no idea what the heck you're talking about or what it's supposed to mean. But I just kept listening and listening. And I, I, I said, I better hit record. And then listen and listen and listen and listen and listen. And I went home and prayed about it. And within 24 hours, such revelation and understanding was breaking out in me that already I was calling him back and giving him back more and giving him back more. And then he was calling me back and giving me back more. And then I was calling him back. And and all of a sudden, this thing was developing. You know, we've both been teaching on the soul. Both of us. And I'm taking the insights he gave me, and he's taking the insights I gave him. And now there's a fellowship, a joint ownership. But you know what? If you begin to listen to New Philadelphia's podcast in Korea, you'll hear the same sound coming. You know why? Because they're receiving that inheritance. It's funny. I wrote, a, I wrote a blog entry a couple months ago called Fighting the Good Fight of Faith. And then two days later, I download the sermon from New Philly, and guess what Pastor Christian's message was? The Good Fight. He had taken that little blog, and after listening to his message, I thought, man, I wish I would have heard this sermon before writing that blog. Because he took that one teaching and just blew it up. I mean, just turned, the, the, just revelation started to happen. It's not sermon stealing when it's an inher- in inheritance. It's an inheritance. That I, but you've got to possess your inheritance, not just borrow it. Preaching it before it becomes an inheritance is just borrowing and stealing. 
But when you possess it, now you can preach it. Your job is to get every word that I speak and then go preach it to somebody. You've got to make a deposit in somebody's life. You're being entrusted with words. And Jesus said, Father, I've given them the words that you gave me, all of them. I haven't let one slip through my finger, John 17, 8. The words that you gave me, I gave them. I took all of them, and I gave them the words, and they have received them. Jesus is saying, I'm ready to come to you, Father. Why? Because the deposit has been made in these 12. They've received them. They've got my words. My words abide in them, and they abide in me. And so, number one, I know that they can ask whatever they will, and it will be done by the Father. And number two, I know that the lineage will continue to move forward because they're going to give them away and give them away. Paul says to Timothy, the things that you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust them into, uh, to trustworthy men who will then be qualified to give them to somebody else. It's got to keep going. It's got to keep moving forward. But it only starts when we come to that place of sonship. We say, I'm going to receive the implanted word like a son. I'm going to receive it as my inheritance. I'm going to incline my ear. I'm going to apply my heart. I'm going to shift. I'm going to make sure that the word that I receive, that I'm entrusted with, that I receive it fully, so that if Pastor Benjamin were to die in a plane crash, at the same time the website crash, and we lose every copy of his, of his sermons, I could sit down and regurgitate his teaching just like the disciples were able to do. Do you know that the Gospels weren't written until 20 years after Jesus died and rose again? And John didn't sit down to write his Gospel for another 60 years. He was able to sit down and say, let me give you the teaching of Jesus. I've got it. It's lingered with me all these years. I've got it. I've kept it. I've stored it up. I've hidden it in my heart. I've tucked it away for safekeeping. I'll never let it go. I'll never lose it because it lives in me. It abides in me. You know, my grandmother on her deathbed when she lost the ability to communicate, the only thing she still had was the Word of God. She had it. She couldn't understand anything else you said, but if you got into, in, next to her ear and said, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, she will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. She couldn't respond. She didn't know who you were. I walked in her room one time. She thought I was her brother, and she started weeping and calling me another name and kissing me. She hadn't seen him in 70 years. He died when he was just a little baby boy. She didn't recognize anyone or anything. She didn't understand any other communication, but when you'd whisper in her ear and say, The Lord is my shadow, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Because that word is alive. It lives. But only when you receive it as a trust. Not as a casual listener. But as one entrusted with the secret things of God. As one who is being entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it's a trust. What I'm looking for to arise here is a, a whole company of proclaimers. A whole company of proclaimers who take the word and then deposit it with the bankers. I don't know about you, but I'm constantly looking for bankers to make deposits. I'm looking for bankers. Where are the bankers? Who will receive it as a trust? It's valuable. It's so valuable that Jesus said it's like giving you five years' wages. Giving you one teaching is like giving you five years' wages. One parable is like five years' wages. You've got to see the value of it. You've got to understand the value of it. You know, the Scripture says that wisdom is more valuable than gold, more valuable than silver and gold. Where is that? Where is that? Mm, thank God for the iPhone. Yeah, Proverbs thirteen fourteen says, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Uh, 
And then Proverbs 16, 16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. Getting wisdom, it's better than getting gold. Receiving the teaching about the Lord, it's better than receiving silver and gold. Jesus said, let me tell you how valuable. It's giving you one teaching, it's like I gave you five years' wages. The teaching provides for you. The teaching about the Lord, it's valuable. And to those who see the value of it, it's like stumbling upon a field. Scripture says, buy the truth and don't sell it. You know, salvation is free, but if you're going to get wisdom, it's going to cost you all you've got. You've got to sell everything to buy it. But you'll only sell everything and buy it if you see the value of it. And so God is looking for disciples who see the value of it, who cling to it. And you know what it does? It establishes you in the truth. You know, uh, actually a lot, of the, the, a lot of the counseling that we do comes from a lack of receiving the teaching. My wife and I have talked and we joked. We said, you know, we're going to set up a requirement. If you want to come see me for counseling first, You've got to make sure you've been at every service, every Thursday night, every Sunday morning for at least the last three to six months, and that you've meditated on those teachings and you pray at least an hour a day. Now, if you do those things, we'll see you for counseling. I mean, we're not going to set that, but we're tempted to. Because you know what that'll do? Being established in the teaching and taking it into your personal walk with God, you'll solve your own problems. And then when we talk, you know what it'll be? It'll be fellowship in the teaching not problem-solving that comes from a lack of receiving the teaching. <laughs> I'll meet with you, but just go home and pray for two hours and then come to the meeting. <laughs> you know what I heard from God, and this is what God said to do. Amen. <laughs> Praise Jesus. <laughs> problem solved. Now let's fellowship. What is the Lord saying? What's the word of the Lord? That's really what God is looking for from us. That's the kind of community we should be. We gather to share the word of the Lord with one another. We gather to share the deep things we're getting from the Spirit of God. We're gathering to fellowship in the mystery, the mystery that was hidden from ages and generations, but is now being made known by God to His saints. That mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Christ dwells in you as you receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. As you let the word of Christ Christ dwell in you richly as you speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. The word of Christ has to dwell in you. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can't abort it. You've got to hold on to it. You've got to carry it to full term. And you've got to give birth. Now, we said a few weeks ago that Satan is the father of lies, right? He's the father of lies. And a father can't give birth to anything. All a father can do is seed things. Satan is the father of lies. Are you the mother? <laughs> You're the mother if you receive that seed and you carry it to completion and give birth to it. But you know what? God is the father of truth. Are you the mother? Scripture says you've been born again not of corruptible but incorruptible seed through the living and enduring word of God. That is, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God seeds you with a word and you've got to carry it to full term and give birth to truth. Are you the mother? Amen. Amen. Okay, you got it. Let's pray. <laughs>